indeed there are more questions and answers like if they make it illegal to wear a veil to work beekeepers are going to be furious hi america hello world (laughs) my name is adrian lee and i am your host welcome to the show more questions than answers the only paranormal quiz show anywhere in the world each week my guests and i will search the world's newspapers websites and tv shows just for you to bring you the very best in paranormal talk radio entertainment and enlightenment we will then test each other's knowledge of the week's events of the mysterious strange supernatural unusual bizarre and just plain weird if you have just tuned in especially to hear the show then i admire your taste if you have just tuned in by accident then i admire your luck i am huddled under my quilt with a large flashlight and a nice cup of tea with tonight's guests somewhere in the barren wildernesses of the midwest plains with the sound of my elderly mother snoring distantly from the room next door so snuggle under your covers turn out your lights and hold on tight the rules are very simple points will be awarded randomly for being interesting and for making me laugh or shiver in horror extra points will be available for shock and awe value to help me control my rowdy panel of recidivists and reprobates i will employ what i have called the inappropriate bell an example of this would be the panel have no idea what's coming i have no idea what stories they have for tonight's show and we are completely live and unedited so without any further ado let us embrace the darkness and introduce tonight's guest panel firstly the mysterious and effervescent heather morris she has been a paranormal investigator for many years with her own team called hellhound investigations and does all of her best work in the shadows She is now the audio and EVP expert with the International Paranormal Society and brings her knowledge and research skills to tonight's show. Heather got a great job this week helping a one-armed typist when they want to do capitals. It's shift work. Welcome to the show, Heather. (laughs) (laughs) We also have with us the analytical and sceptical mind of Kim Gore. Kim is also a talented and valued member of the International Paranormal Society. When Kim was young, she baked an apple tart. She took it to Cleveland, Detroit and Philadelphia. All because her teacher said, make sure you take pie to three dismal places. Welcome to the show, Kim. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Finally on tonight's show. I've got time. I've got an hour. I can wait. Finally on tonight's show, I wish to introduce the calm and unflappable Greg Gore. He's married to Kim and we shall see if this is still the case after tonight's show. Greg is a paranormal investigator and tech expert. He owns and operates more cameras and leads than the BBC outside broadcast department. He is also our producer and sound mixer. Greg got halfway through eating a horse this week and then realised he was not as hungry as he thought he was. (laughs) (laughs) 
Welcome one and all. It's series two, episode 41. 41 is a fabulous number. If you dial the international direct code 41, you will be put through to Switzerland. There's points to be had early on. What's the biggest advantage of living in Switzerland? Anyone want to know? Chocolate. 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 Anything else? I was thinking the flag's a big plus. Okay. (laughs) Should have studied more geography at school. You get that? Yes. Oh, okay. I just wondered. In Mexico, 41. I spent weeks working on that. I thought that was very funny. The flag's a big plus. No, okay. You should go with your first instincts. In Mexico. Wow. Kim starts the show on minus one. In Mexico, 41 is the slang term for being a homosexual. Apparently... In 1901, I believe it was, there was an arrest in Mexico City of 41 homosexuals. So since 1901, the term in Mexico for a homosexual, the slang term is 41. So Jesus loves you means something completely different in Mexico. George W. Bush was the 41st president of the United States. And I just love there's entire websites dedicated to the things George Bush said. So here's a glorious opportunity to read one out. He said, and I love this, this is when an interviewer once asked George Bush about amnesty to illegals. And he said, his reply was, it's terrible when one loses their memory, illegal or legal. I just thought that was fabulous. Did he really say that? (laughs) Absolutely, 100%. Symphony number 41 was the last symphony of Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. I've spent a lot of time in Austria. I lectured in Vienna. Spent a lot of time living there. As you know, my parents conceived me in Innsbruck, so I've always had a tie to the Austrians. I must tell you, do you know when you can go online and translate any language into any other language? So you can go to babelfish.com. You can type in in English, and then you can press the translate button and translate that English into any language you want. The problem is it translates literally every single word. So you lose some of the meaning. When you're translating a foreign language, you have to kind of get the gist of what the person's trying to say and then form it in that language, German, French, Italian. So if you literally take word for word, it doesn't quite make sense. And I'm going to give you a fabulous example of this. I saw when I was in a hotel in Austria, they were catering for skiers. And no word of a lie, they were English skiers. And they put on the wall a sign and it read, do not perambulate the corridors, in the hours of repose, in the boots of ascension. It's just a joy, isn't it? <laughs> I.e. don't walk around the hotel when people are sleeping in your ski boots. But it makes me smile. <laughs> so we are on series, series one, series two, episode 41. I always enjoy reading out the mail from the week, whether it be on Facebook or our emails. Mary from Illinois has written on Facebook, This week, you made me laugh out loud at 4 a.m., on a Saturday morning, while I was building a Korean curricula. This woman, see the calibre of our listeners. There's a woman. Fantastic. Building a curriculum for teaching Korean. And she's listening to our show at 4am on a Saturday morning. She said, you win the internet today. Love, Mary. Anthony is in St. Louis, Missouri. Also posted on Facebook and said, love your show. You guys have me cracking. Nick in Sherburn, Minnesota said there should be more shows made in the week does he realize how much work is involved is he any idea how much work goes into producing one show a week when we get through all of those stories jacqueline 
in Indianapolis in Indiana said, I would like to thank Heather and Kim for the wonderful little rodent stories last week. (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. What rodents? I'm guessing they were squirrels. (laughs) (laughs) People went on to comment on that. I'd forgotten this, but it is gospel truth that during the Second World War, when the English were trying to work out if they were interrogating a German spy, apparently it's almost impossible for a German to say the word squirrel. Almost in the same way that it's for Americans, I guess. So, (laughs) when they interrogated German spies, thinking that they may be, you know... Fooling them. Fooling them. Agent provocateur, as they say. They used to get them to say the word squirrel. And if they couldn't do it... Off against... They threw a boomerang. They threw a boomerang at them. (laughs) The stick you can't throw away. (laughs) What I'd like to go on to mention as well, if people are interested, we have a Facebook site. We have several, actually, but we have a Facebook site purely for the International Paranormal Society. And you may remember several weeks ago, I spoke about a big expo and an investigation we did on the Chase on the Lake Resort in Walker, up in the north of uh, Minnesota. And I said it always takes a couple of weeks for people to then review the evidence. If you do one hour of investigating... You've got four hours of evidence review if you're running two DVRs and a couple of cameras, video cameras. So we have an investigator on our team. His name's Scott. He lives up in Wisconsin. We often make jokes about Scott and we often make jokes about Wisconsin. But he has posted, if you go to our Facebook site, the International Paranormal Society, you will find a video where he's taken a couple of trigger objects, a couple of apples... He's left them in the mechanical room of the basement on the Chase on the Lake Resort. The apples do not move for two and a half hours. And then suddenly one of the apples just flies off the table. And if you recall, when I had a conversation with a spirit there about seven or eight years ago, there was a gentleman called Edward who said he used to look after the horses. And I said, is there anything I can do for you? And he said, yes, you can feed the horses for me. You can bring an apple. So I brought an apple and used it as a trigger object. So if people wish to see the video of the apple flying off the table. I believe that is now available for you to look at. The Chase on the Lake Resort, many thanks to Scott, my tech expert up there in Superior. And that's now available to see on the International Paranormal Society Facebook site. We also have a Facebook site solely dedicated to the show. It's called More Questions Than Answers with Adrian Lee. And all of the week's stories are currently on that site. So if you wish to see the video the photographs, the stories. There's a lot of stories on there as well that we don't get a chance to read out. There's just so much information from around the world on the strange, the bizarre, and the paranormal that you can get on there and read those. We also have a Twitter account, Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips, spelt T-I-P-S, and we have 74,000 followers on there at the moment. So you're welcome to join all the fun and frivolity on there. We have a YouTube site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee. You can see outtakes from several of our shows, which are very, very funny. And finally, we have archives. All of our shows over the last three years are now archived on soundcloud.com. If you go there and search for MQTA Radio, you will find all of the shows from the last three years and remember if you're still looking for late christmas gifts i have several books out at the moment mysterious minnesota digging up the ghostly past at 13 haunted sites is available on amazon and from all good bookshops now last week if you recall i met a fabulous lady she runs a food shelf in Wyndham, which is in the southwest of minnesota and she's written to me we read this out 
last week, but I'm going to read it out again. They're really stretched at the moment. They served over 700 people last month at this food shelf. There's 4,600 people living in Wyndham. 280 folks were laid off several weeks ago at the biggest factory in town, and it closed its doors permanently. They're so stretched financially, feeding so many people, that the Masonic Lodge locally has actually offered to help by saying they will match any funds that are donated. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if you'd like to dip into your pockets and help out the food shelf in Wyndham, they're incredibly stretched. They're feeding a lot of people. It's run very professionally. And uh, if you'd like to help them out, any small donations at all are tax deductible, and they will be matched by the Masonic Lodge. So if you wish to spend a small amount of money there, the correspondence you need to write to and for their donations is the Wyndham Area Sharing Centre. That's the Wyndham Area Sharing Centre. That's P.O. Box 173, Wyndham, Minnesota, 56101. Or you can call 507-822-7210. And I won't apologise for reading that out again. It's 507 822-7210 and they appreciate you listening and uh, your donation so many thanks for that we sprint into the first round Kim is on minus one and everyone else <laughs> is yet to score I have a story here starting out in the round of ghosts and hauntings council workers took three attempts to bury a man after grave was dug too small Bungling council workers took three attempts to bury a man after digging his grave too small. Devastated family and mourners of Alex Dixon were sent away in cars to another part of the cemetery during the burial whilst workers dug a new plot. A digger had to be brought in to create a new grave at Lamb Hill Cemetery, Glasgow, following the mix-up. The 65-year-old sister, Phyllis Forbes, told the Scottish son that the coffin could only be partially lowered into the ground because of a confusion <laughs> over size. After two attempts to lower the coffin, the family and mourners were sent away in cars to another part of the cemetery whilst workers dug a new plot. Miss Forbes told the paper it was so undignified as we lowered Alex into the grave, his coffin suddenly would not go any further. Ever had that problem at all, Greg? No. It was only about <laughs> halfway in. And we had to pull him back out again. <laughs> I couldn't. <laughs> it's sorely tempting, isn't it? <laughs> Everyone knew what I was thinking, though. Saying goodbye once is heartbreaking enough, but having to do it three times is unimaginable. They put their left leg in. <laughs> Glasgow City Council, which runs the cemetery, said the family would not be charged for the service. It's a good way of raising money. Well, I'm glad they wouldn't be charged. If for you the can service. bury the same person three times. Two for one. A spokesman said, <laughs> we're doing a two for one on crossing overs this week if you've got any elderly relatives. <laughs> That's outrageous. A spokesman said, we understand the distress felt by Mr. Dixon's family. Unfortunately, there are instances where ground conditions and other factors may have an impact on internments. The family did not receive the service expected and will not be charged by the council. That's the kind. spokesman said, we recognise the upset calls to Mr. Dixon's family. We regularly work with Glasgow City Council and have followed the agreed process. Apparently, they can confirm that the coffin measurements were correct and all the forms and paperwork had been done. I didn't realise that they actually measured the coffin to work out how big the hole was going to be. I just thought they dug a hole. 
apparently they give them exact measurements and they dig the hole to the measurements. Did you know that? No. I didn't know that. I find that remarkable. I did read, actually, they tried to bury the inventor of the USB memory stick last week and he wouldn't go in to start with earlier. But then they flipped him over and he went in fine. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just to go on with that story a little bit, it wasn't there some consideration about burying people vertically to save space? That has been considered. I dislike the fact that you would then collapse in your coffin. We read out on the show maybe a year ago the fact that very tall people have their legs broken to get them into the coffin. Or sawed off, yeah. That's the sort of thing, yeah. Can you imagine? There's a basis of a horror story there, isn't there, where you have a ghost walk towards you with no legs, wanting the legs back because you were the guy that broke them or sawn them off. Oh. Do you not think? That's a Hammer yeah. House film there in the making, isn't it? You. I shall give myself a fabulous two points to start with. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Haunting? I got a zombie infection. A zombie erection. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want some ointment or something? How does that work? A zombie infection apocalypse predicted by researchers, yeah. believe it or not, by the British Medical Journal. There you go. Apocalypse now. I know. For the sake of humanity, we must ensure that the latter scenario does not really occur, says Smith, and that we work together as a unified global community to respond quickly to any and all new zombie threats. Any and all new zombie threats, as opposed to the old ones? Yes. (laughs) There is a difference, apparently. (laughs) More than 30... Kent State University students are spending seven weeks this semester investigating a zombie apocalypse right in their own backyard. What a waste of time and money. Why don't they focus on things that are real? How would that be? <laughs> I don't know. They're enrolled in the course called Zombie Outbreak, of course believe they are. it or not. A new emergency preparedness and biohazard course taught by the health policy and management assistant professor, John Staley, and uh, environmental health professor Christopher Wolverton. They both have their PhDs. The course is covering the emergency response system, what public health professionals do in a variety of disasters, and individual responsibility for hazard preparedness. I'm sure there's a model that there would be infections, like the Ebola outbreak. You could be making models in terms of computer software to see how that would spread and how you're going to manage it. So I can understand that it's transferable skills. You could learn about a zombie invasion and a zombie apocalypse and then apply it to real-life situations like the Ebola outbreak in Liberia, for example. Maybe they just kind of added a little fun twist to it. They're making it sexy is what they're doing. Zombies are sexy? Yes, on the courses, yes. Okay. Zombies can't say no. (laughs) Officials, too, are actually discussing appropriate courses of action in preparing for and responding to a virus-induced zombie outbreak. The students learned who is responsible for hazardous materials, biological health threats, emergency preparedness and response, as well as how information is verified and communicated to the public during emergencies. So, yeah, there are some skills there. Uh, University and Kent City Police and Fire Responders were represented as well. So that's kind of fun. So they had a lot of people there. Whereabouts is this taking place? Can we go on this course? Kent. Kent in Britain. Yes. I went to the University of Kent. Well, (laughs) and you got your degree off a cereal box, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, that'll be it, said the American. Yeah, absolutely. I should have gone to St. Cloud University. What was I thinking? That's true. I'm an idiot. (laughs) Wow. 
I have a story that says body of a bishop who lived 400 years ago is one of the best preserved of his time. Zombie. The what, zombie bishop? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it was a zombie bishop because he was only moving diagonally. <laughs> you see what I did there? Yeah, I did. Okay. The body of a bishop who lived 400 years ago has been found remarkably well preserved. He was waiting at a bus stop, waiting for a bus to come along. And experts hope that the discovery will shine a light on life in the 1600s. The 17th century bishop, Peter Winstrup, is resting in Lund, Sweden, where he lived from 1605 until his death in 1679. The former Bishop of Lund, who was laid to rest 336 years ago in the crypt of Lund Cathedral in Sweden, is believed to be one of the best-preserved bodies of his time. The coffin was opened in order to apply modern scientific techniques to a body known to be in remarkable condition. If you're ever going to be haunted, if you start messing around with a crypt, do you see what I'm saying? And start messing around opening up tombs and delving around with scientific equipment on bodies that are 336 years old. That's a recipe to be haunted, isn't it? Do you not think? Mm-hmm. You'll yes. be waking up in the middle of your night, and the bishop will be standing upright at the end of your bed with the holy water. <laughs> Kim's gone. The holy water, the crucifix, the whole nine yards, the mitre, all there. I just think that's a recipe to be haunted, isn't it? It's like being in the first person to open a mummy's tomb and then wondering why you're cursed, no doubt. The coffin was opened in order to apply modern techniques to this body in remarkable condition. The imposing coffin in the crypt of the cathedral had been opened several times before. They've actually opened this up several times. It's like a cookie jar. Keep Can opener. That's the sort of thing. A black and white photograph taken almost a century ago shows all his clothes perfectly preserved and his bearded face still bearing a striking resemblance to his portrait. Then the coffin was opened again to reveal the body of a teeny baby hidden underneath Winstrup's feet. The little corpse, believed to be of a fetus born several months prematurely, was revealed for the first time when scientists scanned the coffin. Academics believe the baby could have been illegitimate and was slipped into the coffin when the bishop died to ensure it was buried in holy ground. It's very interesting, that, isn't it? I hadn't considered that. Hmm. A scholar, scientist, collector and theologian, Bishop Winstrup was one of the founders of Lund University in 1666, now ranked among the top 100 in the world. Not like Kent University. (laughs) (laughs) He was appointed Bishop of Lund in 1638, holding the title as the diocese and the region transferred from Danish to Swedish control. He died in 1679, probably of pneumonia. After several long and painful... Romania, is that by Romania? Romania. He died in 1679, probably of Romania. I think I've got a touch of Romania coming on. Have you got any paracetamol? My granddad suffered terribly of Romania. He could barely sit down. It was terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry. Terrible. He had trouble. It went strapish Transylvania. Shocking to do, it was. I've never seen a guy in so much pain. Unbelievable. (laughs) Heather's on (laughs) minus two. (laughs) He suffered with Romania after several long and painful illnesses, including gout, arthritis, gallstones, plaque on the heart and tuberculosis. The only thing he never had was hypochondria. (laughs) His teeth were so badly decayed by sugar, which unlike many of his contemporaries, 
he was rich enough to afford. The bishop was buried on a mattress stuffed with herbs, including juniper and wormwood. His head was pillows of hops, which the scientists believe would have helped preserve the remains as well as hiding the smell. Although the colours have faded, his clothes were also perfectly preserved, including a velvet cape and leather gloves. If people wish to see the Bishop of Lund, who died 336 years ago by the niggling illness of Romania, they can go onto our Facebook site, More Questions Than Answers, with Adrian Lee, and you can see him compared to his portrait. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Ghosts and Hauntings? There's an eerie picture showing a guardian angel floating above a man who miraculously survived a horror crash says this is the guardian angel which saved a man's life after his car was mangled in a horror crash his family claims in the eerie image what appears to be a mysterious seraphic figure kneels over the crushed remains of a vehicle the victim remains in a serious condition after being airlifted to hospital but his relatives believe he would have died if it wasn't for heavenly help Damn. lynn wooten the motorist cousin told fox carolina you can see on the picture on the right-hand side that the angel looks like he's actually knelt with his hands up praying over him. If you were to see the car, you would think nobody came out of it, she added. The aftermath of the smash was photographed by a local pastor, Michael Clary, who stopped to help the injured man. In a Facebook post, he said, The car started rolling over. I counted four times before hitting ditch, then going airborne. Hit about 12 feet against large pine wrapped around a tree in the air, and I saw something come out the passenger side window. When I got to where it was, I was shocked to see a young man on the ground curled in a ball. The whole time this was happening, I was in prayer mode, asking God to protect this person. Following the smash on Highway 252 in Carolina, the victim was treated for a punctured lung in an intensive care. He also broke his collarbone and several ribs, but is expected to be released five days after the accident. Ms. Wooten said, our family strongly believes in guardian angels and that one's with him. My cousin said he was lucky he survived. If nobody had been behind him to see the accident occur, I don't know how long he would have been there. That's very interesting. There are numerous photographs online where you see images of what I would describe as angels hovering over car crash victims. And some of them survive and some of them don't. The issue I have with this, and you're welcome to go and look at this uh, story and this photograph, again, that's on our Facebook site, More Questions and Answers with Adrian Lee. If you go and look at these photographs, you can actually see them. The problem I have as an art historian is that in the Bible, we have this image of what angels look like. So in that photograph, in those images, you see the classic image of the angel with the white flowing robes, the wings. It's very stereotypical of what we perceive an angel to look like. But they're all tools of art history when they painted angels in art they added the wings to them because if a being flies it made perfect sense in the medieval period just to paint wings on them like a butterfly or a bird to suggest that they could fly nowhere in the bible from front to back does it describe angels as having wings i think there's just one part where it says a seraphim has six wings for example but that's okay. the only the only part of the bible that discusses angels having wings and we see them with the white flowing robes which is something from the romanticist period it's classical greek and roman togas okay they're being used by the artists to symbolize classicism if you read daniel 
it actually says that angels appear covered in jewels and they're shining. I think the jewel he describes angels as looking at is topaz. They shimmer like topaz. So you're looking at giant beings, huge giant alien beings without wings, according to the Bible, covered in jewels and being shiny and bright. It doesn't look like that photograph. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So the only issue I have with that is it shows a stereotypical what we would think of as an angel. But biblical fact doesn't actually back up what they look like. And if you go back in time, if you go back to the Roman period, you will actually find angels painted and on tesserae and on tile floors where they didn't have wings. There's paintings that go back to 400 AD where angels don't have wings. You see where they suddenly get added from that point on. So it's a very interesting photograph. If people wish to see it, they're welcome to do so. I just have those kinds of issues that it's not based in reality. Do you see what I mean? Angels do exist. I've seen them. But they don't have wings. They don't wear togas. Does that make sense? Yes, but I have one other issue with that story and the fact that the priest came upon the accident and the first thing he thought of doing was snapping I a was picture. I was waiting to say the same. Yes. He said he was taking, helping him, and yet he's got these photos. Uh, I don't understand that. He should be by him then, not snapping photos of the, of the scene. Right. Well, let's take that a stage further. Aren't we living in a society now where you watch the funniest home videos and the parents are rather filming their kids about to fall into the road or into a swimming pool or on a frozen lake and they're more caught up in filming it than they are actually helping their kids? Right. You can actually see that happening in society where the parent can see that the child's about to settle their hair alight with the birthday cake candles but carry on filming it and don't stop the kid from doing it so that's already in place so i agree with you but then you would suggest conventions are now with society where you would just sit there and take photographs and you're you know fractured from the scene that's taking place to a degree right there are more questions than answers now i cracked a joke at the beginning of the show oh no about putting a usb called burying the guy that invented them do you remember? Yeah. It was a very funny joke. I'm sure you I'm sure you recall. <laughs> I have a story here that says fleeting wonders, cemetery Wi-Fi in Moscow. Would it kill you to check your emails? If so, maybe do it in the Russian capital. Moscow City Hall announced today that starting next year, you'll be able to surf the web at the city's three largest cemeteries. The city will also set up special spots amongst the gravestones for visitors to unwind, said Artom Yekimov a member of the state-owned funeral director's company who is involved in the project. In Russia, <laughs> chilling in cemeteries is a tradition. Only the Netflix is new. Graveyards have long been popular spots for memorial feasts and celebrations, which isn't so strange as many are lovely green and full of statues of cosmonauts. The ability to stay connected will encourage the public, especially younger generations, to continue with important traditions like taking the bus going to church and picnicking on the graves of their ancestors. This is the latest step in a longer, multi-pronged campaign to bring the internet to public spaces in Moscow. Earlier this year, authorities began setting up hotspots at bus stops along the special navigation tables in the city's centre. This sounds like the Victorian period. In Victorian Britain, they designed cemeteries with walkways, flora and fauna, and you were supposed to wear your best Sunday clothes, have a parasol and a bushel, and some of the women, you know, wore them as well. And you would walk <laughs> around the cemetery, and that would be a leisure pursuit. It was actually a leisure activity in Victorian Britain to promenade, perambulate through the cemetery. And the difference between a cemetery and a graveyard is a graveyard 
is a sacred piece of land attached to a church, normally with a little wall around it. A cemetery is specifically designed. An architect got hold of that and said, here's 300 square acres. We're going to plant that tree there. We're going to have this walkway here. And everything's designed specifically for that leisure activity of walking around the graveyard. They even used to have seats on top of graves and in crypts so you could sit with your loved ones. Do you see what I mean? So in effect, isn't that doing what the Victorians wanted to do? 150 years ago but they're now using modern technology to get the youth i'm wondering with that modern technology if they're going to have limits on what you can access on the internet <laughs> it did well there was stuff i didn't read out Kim. no it doesn't well kim went straight there didn't she with her brown midgets.com website <laughs> what it goes on to say is that russian orthodox church perhaps it should be russian unorthodox church have decided to put internet clean internet it says okay. into places of worship that's really dangerous. You could be sat there in the congregation following the game. Do you see what I'm saying? You could be watching the Vikings play and, you know, doing other things while you're in church, I guess. I have to say that I, I would almost take that one step further. We did a story maybe, and this had to be eons ago, about headstones where they were actually putting video players in them so the person that may have passed away could give a message to whoever is visiting Yes. By just speaking to them or maybe That's doing a right. slideshow or something. Yes, there was a TV screen. Yeah. Yeah, typical it would be a slideshow like what you do at viewings. Right. And they'd actually implant that into the headstone. Now, if they could actually hook that up to the Wi-Fi, you could always update it as you found more family pictures sure. or video or something like this that. This is John Smith. I told you I was ill. You never listened to me. <laughs> I think the point was as well that you had some sort of scanner on the headstone. And you could put your phone oh, on yeah, it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it would bring up all their details. I think that That's was... That's a money-making thing. We should get on that. Well, there you go. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure putting microchips into gravestones. People will destroy them. People will hack them up. In Salk Centre, where I was once the uh, president of the Salk Centre Historical Society. And that's a tale to tell as well. I volunteered to help them out being the local historian. And uh, they asked me if I could be on their board so they could have a historian on the board. And I agreed. I then went back to Britain for three months to research a book, came back and they'd made me president. So the moral of that story is make sure you go to all the meetings. But there was a gravestone in, I think it's uh, Greenaway, I think, if my memory serves me right, um, cemetery. And there was a Civil War veteran who had a mini ball pulled out of his leg. And a mini ball was a really nasty shell that they used during the Civil War. And it would just fracture bones and destroy everything. It was a vicious piece of armament, which accounted for a lot of the amputations during the Civil War. But they pulled that shell, that bullet, out of his leg and they mounted it in the gravestone. And he had that mounted in the gravestone. The kids would chip that mini ball out almost on a weekly basis. And he had to keep being repaired and glued in with another one constantly. So I get the impression that if you were in the cemetery, and let's face facts, a lot of vandalism takes place. A lot of illicit activities take place in cemeteries, of course. I just wonder if you had some sort of technology there, how quickly that would last. When would that be destroyed? When would that be messed around with? Do you see what I mean? I think there's not many people living in Moscow that have access, access to Wi-Fi. So they're just giving them access to it in a public place because I get the feeling there won't be many people at home that have access to it, is what I'm thinking. That brings to an end the round of Ghosts and Hauntings. It was very informative. Greg is yet to score. I'm on two. Heather's on minus two. And Kim <laughs> is now on zero. She has gained some points. We run into the round. 
With our laser pen aimed at the sky, with our K2 meter in one hand and a book of the solar system in the other, it is the round that is UFOs and cryptozoology. It's green men and hairy beasties. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of green men and hairy beasties? Oh, I have something that we've talked about before, too. It's a willy story, isn't it? No, that's not until later. That's later. That's in the round called Not For Your Mother. That, that we're not allowed to do live on air, but you can access in our archives. Wait in anticipation. There you go. New Zealand awards Pastafarians the right to perform oh. marriages. Pastafarians. Pastafarians. Isn't this where you have to have a photograph of yourself on your driving license with some sort of colander on your head? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I remember. In Wellington, New Zealand. They've got nothing to do in New Zealand except count sheep. This is the trouble. And the, wear colanders. The devil makes work for idle <laughs> hands. You hear what I'm saying? Members of a church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster, otherwise known as the Pastafarians, were granted the right to perform marriage ceremonies in New Zealand. Yay! You got married by a Pastafarian. All right. The approval of the application was reported in the New Zealand Gazette, stating that as of December 10th, members of the church were granted permission to perform marriage ceremonies. Pastafarians believe in the giant flying monster made of spaghetti and have been known to wear colanders on their heads. This is your Ding. best UFO story, is it? It's a, fl- <laughs> it's a flying spaghetti monster. Does it get better than that? I think when we last had this discussion, the answer was no. <laughs> <laughs> While some consider the Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster to be purely satirical, a leader of the New Zealand church vouched for their legitimacy to Radio New Zealand. We are a bona fide church, and our people do like to get married. Some of them several times, she said. We like to have baptisms and babies and celebrations and divorces And it's always nice to have official marriage celebrants preside over these celebrations. I'd love to see what a ceremony looks like now. (laughs) Wouldn't you? (laughs) We need to get that looked at, don't we? What does that involve? Come on. Can you imagine a colander with a veil? That'd be great. (laughs) I'm sure they have spaghetti at the reception. Oh, yes. Yes. I'm sure your mother would enjoy that as well. (laughs) The Register General of Births, Deaths, and Marriages, Jeff Montgomery, stood by his decision to approve the request, despite calling it one of the more unusual ones. Go figure. I'd like to know what the other ones are now, then. (laughs) As the Registrar General, it is my role to apply the relevant legislation. In this case, my decision can only be based on whether the organization upholds or promotes religious beliefs or philosophical or humanitarian convictions, he says. So, yay, get married by a Pastafarian. In That's New exciting. Zealand. Wow. <laughs> That's the place to be, apparently. You, you want points for that, do you? That's got points in it. spaghetti it? monster. Can you imagine? I'll give you two resplendent points and bring you up to a duck egg of zero. I have a story that says a mysterious planet X has been found in our solar system. There is a huge unseen planet lurking at the edge of our solar system. A team of astronomers from Sweden. The Swedes. Again? Yes. If they're not digging up old bishops, they're looking for extra planets. I'm part Swedish. Leave me alone. A team of astronomers from Sweden <laughs> and Mexico. What a no, bizarre. I'm not. no. Anyone want to claim anything? No. no. Okay. Claim to have discovered a previously unseen massive object at our solar system's edge. Although many other astronomers are skeptical of the claim. In two preprint publications, scientists say that they've seen a new black body 
point source, which appears to be moving in conjunction with the Alpha Centauri star system, using observations from the Atacama Large Array, the ALMA. The researchers write simple arguments convince us this object cannot be an ordinary star. We argue that the object is most likely part of the solar system in prograde motion at a distance too far to be detectable at other wavelengths. The object, which one of the team's names NAR, that's GNA, could be a super-Earth at a distance of 300 astronomical units from the sun six times further out than pluto well that's going to be very cold and very dark then isn't it other explanations include a brown dwarf (laughs) know any brown dwarfs ever what (laughs) the scientists (laughs) are highly skeptical of the find and the publications have not been peer-reviewed by other scientists we've done this show for three years now and greg has not once said what it's always been yes and no. <laughs> We're going to have to introduce a new word into his vocabulary. Like what? <laughs> it's all in the timing, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Brown at Caltech was sceptical of the claims, saying, if it is true that the ALMA accidentally discovered a massive outer solar system object in its teeny, teeny field of view that would suggest that there is something more than 200,000 Earth-sized planets in our solar system. What he's saying was that the telescope that recorded this was looking at such a small, narrow area of our universe that if it actually caught a planet on there, he's suggesting that if that small little space contains a planet on the edge of our solar system, he's estimated that if they then aim that telescope in other small, minute places, there's the chance of 200,000 Earth-sized planets on the edge of our solar system. He says, I realise that that many Earth-sized planets existing would destabilise the entire solar system and we would all die. Oh, we should make oh, wow. up. Fear, I know, right? Fear-mongering. <laughs> well, in many respects, they say that dark matter is the stuff that's holding the universe together. Very bizarrely, the universe has always been expanding, but recently... Using quantum physics, they've discovered, and they don't know why, that the universe is actually slowing down. And they suspect that the dark matter between all the solar systems is the glue that's holding everything together. Do you see what I mean? And we can go on to discuss UFOs and aliens using dark matter to get from one place to the next. But the idea is, if there was 200,000 Earth-sized planets on the edge of our solar system, it would pull the universe in lots of different directions is where we are i wish they'd make up their mind first there was nine planets then there was eight planets then there was nine planets again then it went back to eight now there's two hundred thousand. who knew they need to make up their mind don't they yes there we go kim what have you got for me tonight in the round of ufos and cryptozoology ufos spotted circling rocket launching into space by stunned shepherds wow we're back to the angels again aren't we we are There were two mystery objects caught on camera in the sky behind a rocket as it was launched into the air. The footage, which was first reported by two shepherds who were in a field watching their flock... Washing their socks. (laughs) ...shows the craft taking off and the UFOs behind. I think this is a perfect story at Christmas time. There you go. The the rocket part of the UFO. The shepherds. There you (laughs) are. They were making a pie. (laughs) The launch took place at the Satish Dhawan Space Center in India. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> and speculation has grown as to what the unidentified crafts are. 
Some people believe them to be alien spaceships, while others think they could be some sort of drone. According to the website, police said the shepherds, who were grazing cattle, claimed to have seen a mysterious object flying over the Cryogenic Testing Center of Indian Space Research Organization. Oh, fabulous points to be had there, wow. Kim Strauss, about this too there. Love For it. short, ISRO. Oh, we are, I'll take them back again then. Back to zero. Police said the shepherds had told them that the object flew near the seventh watchtower where no one had been posted for a long time, but the ISRO... Cryogenic Center of Indian Space Research Organization. Back to two points. Deny the sighting took place. There we go. Isn't it always the case? (laughs) This book's been written about UFOs being around missiles, ballistic missile centers, locations where missiles are fired. There's lots of stories in the military and books have been published about that phenomena. And I've seen myself UFOs around things like wind turbines. It would make perfect sense to me and doesn't sound unreasonable that you would find UFOs around rockets that are about to take off. I've got a story here. This was a very interesting story. It says, Brit who hacked NASA found evidence of warships in space. A Brit hacker who managed to gain access to top-secret NASA computers has astonishingly claimed to have found evidence of US warships stationed in space. Gary McKinnon, who was wanted by America over the biggest military hack of all time, said that he discovered a secret space program run by the American Navy. I used to read stories out about Gary McKinnon all the time. When I first started doing paranormal news many, many years ago on 100.3 K-Talk, every other story, every other week was about this guy, Gary McKinnon from Britain, who in his pyjamas with a cup of tea managed to hack into every file that America has from NASA all the way through to the military. And the Americans were very unhappy. They wanted to extradite him. And they wanted to give him like 980 years in jail or something ridiculous. And this story of Gary McKinnon used to come up so regularly on the radio show. It's almost like us now with Mars. Do you know every other week we have a story about what's now been seen on Mars? Right. There was a time when every other story I read out in the round of UFOs contained a story about whether Gary McKinnon was going to be extradited to America or not. He said, speaking to a UFO channel, Rich Planet TV, the 49-year-old revealed, I used to do a program called Land Search, which could search for all the files and folders. But I scanned and looked for documents. I found an Excel spreadsheet which said non-terrestrial officers. It had ranks and names. It had tabs for material transfer between ships. I took that to be. They must have ships based in space and their name started with USS. Mr. McKinnon managed to gain access to the computers for several months without detection and caught sight of an image that he believes could have been proof of alien life. He said it was the hemisphere of a planet. I assume it was Earth. It was cloudy, but there was the classic cigar UFO shape. He added that he did not feel it was man-made. Home Secretary Theresa May blocked the extradition order for Mr. McKinnon in 2012, and it was announced later that year that he would not face prosecution in the United Kingdom. This is very interesting. He broke into files for the military. And I think the American military, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong, call non-terrestrial officers the Navy and the Air Force because the Army's terrestrial and the Navy and the Air Force are non-terrestrial. Does that make sense? 
So if he's seeing files that say non-terrestrial and there's officers with their ranks and then there's ships that have the, the, the beginning of USS, I don't think that's space related. I just think that refers to the Navy, doesn't it? Does that make sense? Yes. So he's going on television saying he found files that said non-terrestrial officers with ships beginning USS. All he's doing is accessing Navy documents, surely. Does that I agree. Un- okay, excellent. We're all in agreement. <laughs> I shall give myself two fabulous I and wonderful... I don't agree that much. Okay. <laughs> it's too late now. The, the horse has bolted if Greg hasn't eaten it. <laughs> we move into the round that is called the strange and the bizarre. It's the stories from around the week that are too strange and too bizarre, not to include in our show, but don't fit easily into any other category. Heather, what have you got for me tonight in the round of the strange and the bizarre? Bond. James Bond. Why miss our <laughs> money, Penny? <laughs> a driver actually activates a James Bond-style smokescreen to avoid police. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. That'd be fabulous, wouldn't that it? That would be fun to watch that, yes. I think there's a downfall in this. So you carry on and I'll tell you what I think Okay, Simon Chaplin, 62, flicked a switch on the dashboard of his red Puget 309 and colossal amounts of smoke came out of the exhaust pipe. What's a Puget? I don't is know what a Puget of, is. Is that not Peugeot, is it, by any chance? <laughs> <laughs> it's a Peugeot. Oh, it's a Puget. A Puget. That's a Puget 306, is it? 309. 309, my apologies. I was reading it it upside down. Come in, number nine, your time is up. Puget. Number nine is an out there. Number six, are you in trouble? It's a Puget. (laughs) What's wrong with you? Don't you know how to pronounce anything? Oh, I I just wondering if it may have been a forward, maybe, or perhaps it was a Cadillac. Cheevy. (laughs) <laughs> a Buick. <laughs> okay, it was a 309. All right, all right. It was a, what did you call it? <laughs> French was something that happened to other people at school, wasn't it? <laughs> yes, it's a Puget. Keep going. PC, Daphid, Campbell oh, Birch. Saying? Who? Daphid. David. No, it's D-A-F-Y-D-D. Okay. Daphid. David. David. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be a long story, isn't it? It is. It's actually only a couple more lines. But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) anyway, he caught up five miles later when Chaplin turned into a farmyard. Chaplin had a bucket of diesel behind the passenger seat, connected it to a pump with a pipe leading to the exhaust, an electrical system linked to the pump, battery, and a dashboard switch. At the flick of the switch, the diesel was dripped onto the hot exhaust pipe and produced clouds of smoke. He's like he didn't blow himself up. James Belton, who was driving in the other direction, told police in a My statement... My name's James Belton. James Belton. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, told police in a statement... He read to the Swansea Crown Court. I was in Wales, okay. I thought that his engine had blown. The smoke was covering both carriageways, and I had to slow down to five (laughs) miles an hour. PC Birch said he wanted to stop the Puget (laughs) because it had had de jour number plate, which didn't look right. What's a de jour number plate? D-E-J-U-R-E. 
Okay. Is Department that... of Environment something or other, I'm sure. No, it said du jour. I see it. Like the soup du jour. Do you know what? <laughs> Ship du jour. <laughs> <laughs> How does that taste anyway? <laughs> I see I'm fighting a losing battle. <laughs> Do you know? That's it. Laugh it up. But you're all on my shows. You just figured out your. Fighting I, a losing battle? I'm fighting a losing... Three years it's taken me to get to this point. <laughs> I'm just looking. I'm just amazed. I can't believe it. Do you know the problem with that story? What? what? Well, if you do that to hide from the police, all the police have to do is follow the smoke. You've actually made James it easier Bond for them. has used it before. Yes, but he backed it up with, like, oil slicks and machine gun fire, oh, okay. if I recall. <laughs> I hope you don't expect me to talk French. <laughs> I am... <laughs> Shocking. A Puget. Puget. A Puget. What did you say it was? I'm just thinking the police have got a smoke trail to follow now and you've made it really easy for them to trail you, haven't you, basically? Well, they happened. did say they caught up with of him course down they the did. road yeah. after he turned into a farmyard, but I thought it was hilarious. It's completely different, isn't it, if you've got that kind of gadget set up and you're driving an Aston Martin DBA or you're driving you know, a BMW or some sort of Maserati or Ferrari. He had it in a Peugeot 309. That's not what he had it in. Oh, yeah, here we go. <laughs> oh, sorry, it was the 306. My apologies. I have a story here. Pit of amputated arms in France from 6,000 years ago suggest war and trophy-taking. About 6,000 years ago in France, where they make Pugets, some hostiles, <laughs> in an apparent act of warfare and trophy-taking, killed a group of adults and children, amputated their arms, and buried the limbs in a circular pit underneath some other bodies. It was a common practice to bury people in circular pits at the time in a large area of Europe. But this gruesome case stands out from the rest for the violence done to the buried. So this huge pit's been discovered. It's 6,000 years old, and it's full of arms. That's what I'm saying. I once knew a one-armed butler. He could take it, but he couldn't dish it out. <laughs> if he'd have lost his left arm, it would have served him right. French researchers <laughs> from various institutions wrote the article, A Farewell to Arms, a Deposit of Human Limbs and Bodies, at Bergheim, France, 4000 BC. In the journal Antiquity, the researchers of Fanny Chanel, Bertram Perrin... Who is her? What? Fanny Chanel, that's some sort of personal hygiene fragrance, I believe. Hélène Eman and Bruno Bullestin. The people who attacked the victims fractured their arms and chopped them off, then apparently buried those limbs in a layer in the pit underneath. Some other skeletons, all of which had their arms except one. The upper layer also contained a fragment of an infant's cranium. Dr Aww. Chanel told Ancient Origins via email that she does not know why the severed arms were buried underneath the other people's remains, but the team assumed they were all of some social group, but were treated differently. This is a giant armpit. This is where the fragrance needs to come from. Ugh. The researchers ruled out funerary practices common amongst other societies around the world, including human sacrifice, the killing of slaves to accompany persons to the afterlife, or the destruction of prestige goods 
in the form of human arms. The evidence from Pit 157 undoubtedly testifies to armed violence, and the amputated arms, most probably trophies, are suggestive of an act of war. The presence of women and children in the pit does not go against the hypothesis. They may have been victims of raids, killed on the scene of the confrontation, or captured and executed afterwards. Although women and children were often enslaved, they were also sometimes tortured and killed. Whether they were victims of warfare or the recipients of judicial punishment, the case supports the idea that the haphazardly deposited individuals were either dependents or excluded individuals. If you remove someone's right arm from back in the day, they're not going to be able to fight you, are they? They're not going to be able to fight you in the afterlife either. Do you see what I mean? If this was 6,000 years ago, I bet they were trying to stop the spirits of those they'd killed in combat in coming back and attacking them. Does that all make sense? Mm-hmm. If I ever saw an amputee hanged, um, I'd just yell out letters. <laughs> Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of the strange and the bizarre? Another story because it's getting close to Christmas. It is indeed. Something cheerful, something cheery, something festive, Kim. Zombie nativity scene draws ire and donations in Ohio. There you go. Yay! Yay! <laughs> An Ohio couple is defying orders to remove a zombie-themed nativity scene from their front garden. For a second year in a row, Jason and Amanda Dixon constructed the scene, which features a spoof version of Silent Night, including a demonic baby Jesus and undead wise men. The thing is that undead Jesus didn't come until he was 33. (laughs) Just saying. Uh See, It's true, though. See where I'm going with that. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, the local council have said the display violates don- zoning laws, and local religious groups have denounced it. The Cincinnati couple is seeking donations to keep the display alive. Construction- alive. <laughs> Construction of the display and the controversy has been documented on a Facebook page managed by the couple. A description of the display on that page describes it as the world's first zombie nativity scene and a wonderful piece of artwork before stating we are not atheist. The couple claims that they were denied a zoning permit for the structure and according to the New York Times could face a fine of $500 per day. There are some fabulous photographs of this. If people wish to go to our Facebook site, more questions and answers, you can see zombie jesus it's all there and kent university are currently studying that nativity (laughs) scene apparently we now enter the final round of the show the round that's called not for your mother some people have written to me and said can you do not for your mother for an hour but we're not allowed to do this live on air (laughs) maybe someday we should do like a new year's special and we'll just do an hour and only post it on soundcloud we'll never week enough to get that together then don't we ultimately (laughs) how am i going to manage searching on the internet for stories for not for your mother that would last a whole hour some of the things i'd have to type in i won't get any sleep for two days (laughs) that'd be great it'd be a great gift for the listeners we'll see if we can put that together an hour of not for your mother would be very uh demanding wouldn't it to say the least this is the round laden with sexual innuendo it's the stories from around the world this week that we could not read out live on air but we are okay to do if you access our archives I will start if your mother is now safely tucked up in bed, if the children are out of the room. I'm actually going to go to Heather first, actually. What have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? I've got something topical. It's a willy. No. Okay. (laughs) Donald Trump. It's a willy. (laughs) (laughs) How about Donald Trump branded condoms are now on sale? 
Mm. Branded condoms. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> For his pleasure. <laughs> oh, uh, with all the media coverage on Donald Trump these days, custom condom makers, say it with a condom.com, couldn't resist parodying one of the, his best lines. Which... Have they got a fake end to them? Is the top fake? No, but they're furry. They're furry. No, I don't know. I don't, I don't you have I no idea. Okay, we're making shit <laughs> Look up. Look in your okay. Christmas stocking and Fair then tell enough. us. Oh, I'm going to get furry condoms for Christmas. <laughs> <am I? laughs> they partnered up with Fishes Eddie in New York City to create the I'm Huge Trump condom. You'd call it Trump Tower, wouldn't you, or something like that? Nope, it's the I'm Huge condom. You missed the boat on what that What about one. Ivana Humperlot? <laughs> no Ivana Humpula Don't we all man It's just not on the cards right now is it <laughs> Terrible Because nothing says sexy Like an incredibly controversial man With terrible hair Intent on running for president right You're going to have to narrow it down There's been a lot of them Yeah I know The actual <laughs> condom isn't too exciting And the packaging features Donald's grumpy face to get you in the mood. <laughs> Plus the slogan, I'm huge. Sensual, oh. right? Yeah, I know. Say it with a condom describes the condoms as tremendous and built like a wall to keep out STDs and unwanted pregnancies 99% of the time. Wow. I know. They'll also serve as a handy way to check whether or not you're about to make a huge mistake. Sex-wise, anyway. Okay. So he's offended another group because obviously he's agreed to co-brand this. I would assume so. Otherwise, And so he's offending the entire group of pro-life people. He's not going to sue anybody's pants off. Does that mean that he's majority swelling? I have a story. Uh, What? (laughs) I have a story that says benefit cheat, too ill to get out of bed, claims £5,000 whilst working as an exotic mouse stripper. A benefits cheat, too ill to get out of bed, was busted performing across the country as a mouse stripper. Mark Hetherington adopted the stage name, Ian Cognito, the stripping ninja, despite claiming thousands in disability benefits. Investigators compiled covert videos of him appearing at clubs, festivals and a private party across the UK. I'd like to have that job. Covert (laughs) video, obviously not of mouse strippers. Covert, I'll just add that. Covert mal, you know, covert ninja. Covert ninja stripping. How did they get the camera in? How do they do that? Can you imagine if you'd have been caught with a camera under your jacket? They must have had a woman filming that, mustn't they? They couldn't have had a man in there, could they? Do you see what I'm saying? Oh, I guess a man would have been, I guess there are some men that would be interested in seeing stripping ninjas, but sneaky you'd have to have a camera in your bra or something, wouldn't you? I'm guessing. The 51 year old erotic dancer appeared alongside his lover. Grandmother Kathy Rowan, otherwise known as Cosmic Kitty. Hold pair, on, it was a grandma. Was he his was partner? With, he was with yeah. his grand. He's partnered. He's yes. fifty-one years old. Yes, he appears naked along next to his grandma. No, his lover, who is a grandmother. Oh, <laughs> not with his grandmother. <laughs> okay. What kind of strange, mixed-up world is this? She thought so too. I was waiting for the explanation. <laughs> yeah, this isn't. This isn't in Florida. The pair met through exotic dancing work. Hetherington of Warman Road, Blackpool, 
broke the law by failing to disclose an improvement in his medical condition to the Department of Work and Pensions. As a result, he was overpaid £5,000 in disability living allowance. That's about $8,500. Magistrates of Blackpool, Lancashire were told. Hetherington admitted benefit fraud committed between May 2012 and August 2014. Malcolm Isherwood, prosecuting, said in his claim the defendant said he could not get out of bed without assistance, unless Donald Trump was there. <laughs> Hetherington also said he could not cook for himself and needed assistance and support if he ever managed to leave his home. He said he could not go into supermarkets. He was agrophobic and going out resulted in him getting panic attacks. Agrophobic. So dancing naked in front of a room full of strangers apparently was okay, but he couldn't leave the house. Hetherington also claimed he hardly ever managed to sleep and needed assistance cleaning his teeth, the court heard. I bet his grandmother girlfriend didn't have any problems cleaning her teeth. (laughs) The prosecutor said Hetherington said he was anxious all the time and especially in social circumstances and could not mix with others because of his anxiety. However, the DWP started to investigate and discovered he was working as what is known as a malversion of burlesque. As a dancer, he appeared across the UK in front of audiences and at private parties. Undercover investigators collated film of him as he worked. That's a joy, isn't it? The Stripping Ninja. Stripping Ninja, called Ian Cognito. Uh, Did he have a ninjury? No, apparently not. (laughs) It was stopping him from working. He had a ninjury at work. Wow. I saw his nunchucks. They were quite impressive. Kim, what have you got for me tonight in the round of Not For Your Mother? Man who says he was turning into the Hulk was arrested for disorderly conduct. The Spartanburg County Sheriff's Office says Wells Fargo Bank on a Reedville Road was closed temporarily Thursday morning after a man they say was intoxicated caused an incident. The report says that a bank employee asked 30-year-old Cale Marcus Strickland several times to leave. When he didn't leave, they weren't able to open. That sentence is confusing to me. It's like, how could they not open? How did he get in if they weren't open? It's it's an oxymoron, isn't it, ladies yes. and gentlemen? Yes. Deputies say Strickland was inside a truck when they arrived and appeared to be intoxicated on a narcotic and was shaking uncontrollably. The report says the man started to talk to imaginary people and didn't make any sense. The deputy says the man's heart was racing and EMS was called. Strickland declined treatment and said his heart rate was racing because he was turning into the Hulk. I knew he was real. Yes, suddenly his pants turned purple and his shirt got removed. It says here, though, but he would not turn green. Oh, Oh. that's disappointing. Ho, ho, ho. Strickland was charged and arrested for public disorderly conduct, for disrupting the bank, refusing to leave, and cursing loudly in public. I didn't realise that was an offence, cursing loudly in public. I have a story here that says seeds sprouted inside a tooth. A 36-year-old Taiwanese man with severe toothache went to the dentist. The dentist pulled out the man's wisdom tooth and found a guava sprout growing from it. It turned out not only did the man have poor oral hygiene his bottom wisdom tooth was missing so after the seed got stuck it had room to grow it is estimated that the guava sprout was about 10 days old kim when did you last have a seed in your mouth (laughs) it was worth reading the story out i'm sorry (laughs) heather what have you got for me tonight in the round 
of Not For Your Mother. Florida. Ray. A Florida man in a French-made costume arrested in the prostitution sting. Were they driving a Peugeot? A Puget. Puget. A Puget. I'm sorry. It was a Puget. My apologies. <laughs> in Lakeland, Florida, a Florida man dressed in a French-made costume Ooh, and, la, la. and a dog collar. Suck the blood. Who was one of 95 people arrested in a prostitution sting. The Polk County Sheriff's Office. It's amazing how many terms the word sting and, and prostitution. Polk? Hey, what? Polk? <laughs> Where did you get the word Polk from? County. Polk County. It's Pope or Polk. P-O-L-K. Poke. Okay. Like a polka. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. I'm just about <laughs> trying to get the facts. You see where we are. Uh, the Polk County Sheriff's Office said in an investigation dubbed Operation Naughty Not Nice resulted in the arrest of 95 people between the ages of 15 and 68 during the week-long sting. Investigators said the suspects were lured to the hotel by undercover officers posing as prostitutes and even potential customers. We wouldn't be able to get away with that in Britain. You what? can't do that. That's called like a honey trap. You're, That's you're, entrapment, isn't it's it? It's entrapment. Yeah. In, in Britain, um, they would have... That's a honey trap? You have a name, honey trap? I believe so, yes. Okay. In this country, they will set up cars with keys in the ignition... And then the police will follow that car if you get in and steal it. They will leave, you know, trucks and semis with the backs undone and have goods there and people will take them and stuff. You could not prosecute for that in Britain because that's entrapment. You wouldn't get away with that. You couldn't have a sting in the honey no. trap. No, you don't want a sting in your honey <laughs> trap. Okay. That's where we are. I'm glad we're getting all the information here. <laughs> the arrest report said one of the suspects, David Marsh, arrived at the hotel on a bicycle... And was wearing a French-made costume. I bet a, he didn't leave on a bicycle. A dog collar. Okay. And a chastity belt. He's got it all going on there. He's mixed many costumes and genres together, isn't he? He was seeking a prostitute to dominate him, investigators said. My wife doesn't understand me. He actually rode the bike clear, across, clear across town wearing the French-made outfit with his dog collar around his neck. Did he have the chastity belt on while he was riding that bike I as think well? he might have. <laughs> See, that's where the sting comes from. That's why it's a sting. There was some chafing. I could almost smell some pork scratchings. You've no idea what they are. <laughs> the sheriff's office said other suspects arrested in the sting included a Lakeland High School teacher, Sweet. two sets of twins, and a mother who left her two-year-old child in her car with her significant other when she came into the hotel. Oh, that's so pretty sad. Nice. Even the women are involved. Yes. There's a whole cross-section of people there from 15 to 78 of all walks of life, isn't there? Yes. In the that f- must have been some parties. <laughs> like, I never get invited to parties like that that's uh, a terrible thing <laughs> <laughs> well all good things come to an end so now let's look at tonight's scores in last place the k2 meter with the dead battery is greg he has one point for saying fabulously the word what heather and kim are tied in second place on four points but tonight's resplendent first place winner with a thirty-three thousand dollar ir camera is myself do not fear, listener. Remember, we are back with a whole new bunch of stories next week at the same time. And I would love for you to join me for a fun and informative journey through the world of the paranormal, strange, intriguing, bizarre and weird. Please tell your friends and family about the show and feel free to contact me 
anytime via my Facebook site, More Questions and Answers, with Adrian Lee. You can also contact me on my Twitter account, Adrian underscore Lee underscore tips and remember we're now going to do another 20 to 25 minutes of the show that you can access on our archives if you go to soundcloud if you go to itunes if you go to stitcher and type in mq ta radio you can access another part of the show our last round of the show called not for your mother the stories from around the week that are too laden with sexual innuendo to be able to read out live on air without being removed or gaining a large fine my gratitude and greatest thanks are extended to Lorna Hunter, Heather Morris, Jeton Drainer, Kim and Gregor, Nathan Bush, and all at the International Paranormal Society, intparanormal.net. And all of the show's sponsors, including the Lakes Area Paranormal Interest Group and MUFON of Minnesota. Be sure to tune in next week for our Christmas Day special on Dark Matter Radio. And it just remains for me to say thank you for listening. And remember, be interested and interesting. Good night.